Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook. Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Blair Cook. And I'm Jen Nicholson. Today we have with us Jennifer Gervais Keen. She is an award-winning professional coach who helps organizations solve problems through coaching, facilitation, and learning and development. She works in partnership with her clients to figure out the best, most cost-effective and sustainable ways of moving their people and their businesses forward. In today's podcast, we talk about the importance of developing a learning culture and some tips on how to create it. Let's listen in. We're so excited today to be here with Jennifer Gervais Keen. Jennifer is a leading coach, management consultant, facilitator, professional speaker, organizational change and learning and development, optimizing culture, all kinds of those great things that we all need to get better at as CPAs. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about how do you build a learning culture, something that is everybody wants to attain, but is not so easy to actually implement. I think to back up a little bit, one of the reasons why you would want to build a learning culture is really two things from where I sit. One is, is that one of the key reasons that people stay with companies today is because they have opportunities for learning and development progression whether it's in their actual job or whether they're making a lateral move or whatever it is, especially when we look at some of our younger workforce. So that is more important. of a more of a millennial type of thing? Um, yeah, but it's still important to some of the older workers as well, I would say. It's just that it's definitely moved up the list. You know, maybe five, ten years ago, it was maybe number seven in importance, and today it's probably sitting around number three. Wow. Right? So it's, yeah, so it's become a lot more important to people. What's number one? Uh, usually it's... A mix of culture and and actual, you know, opportunity, right? One of the reasons why people leave organizations today is the lack of opportunity. So if they're if you don't a learning organization is great to have if you don't have much of a career ladder, because a lot of organizations are much flatter than they used to be, you can hang on to people because you're actually giving them learning opportunities that they'll be able to use elsewhere. Right. Great. So this stuff so, is, is obviously extremely important then for organizations to get good at if yeah. they want to well and the other reason that, employees. And the other reason that it's critical is that if you aren't developing your employees from where I sit, you're hooped. You've got no innovation, no adaptation, no flexibility. You you can't be an organization in our world today and stay stagnant and survive, right? It's very, very difficult to do that. So actually having a culture that is focused on learning and development, but doing it in the right way, so aligned to the strategic objectives, aligned to where the organization wants and needs to go to stay competitive is really where you want to have your underlying learning culture you know, supporting that. And what does a learning culture mean exactly? How would you define that? Basically, you want to create a culture where people feel comfortable in failing. Obviously, that's tough. It is because you want to also be succeeding, right? So it's exactly. so, so you have to have you have to have the balance. But it's I would say you know in in the day to day piece, if somebody wants to try something new and maybe they don't get it right the first time, that there isn't going to be negative consequences because that's just going to turn them off, right? That people are actually encouraged to fail quickly so that you're not spending a whole bunch of time and investing in something and then finding out that it doesn't work. Right. But that you really, it's more of a mentality and it's a way of being where you leave space for people so they can try different things, they can innovate. You're giving them different resources so they can learn how to do things differently. You know, there's there's ways of 
you know, we call it all sorts of things. There's continual improvement. There's, you know, there's all sorts of ways that you can create learning around that. But it's really supporting people when they have an idea and it makes sense for the business and they want to go explore it. And that's difficult because we don't have a lot of time. And we don't, and a lot of organizations don't have a lot of extra resources. But like I said, if you can actually change the way people behave around some of those pieces and not have, you know, a management team who just shuts stuff down or doesn't, you know, encourage input or isn't, you know, you're not, you don't have like, you know, idea sessions and stuff like that, then, then, you know, you're not, you're also not going to grow. Does this type of culture apply to any organization, any type of business or industry? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, there's an awful lot of change going on right now in all areas of business. Right. And the learning piece may not even be around your your core business. It could be developing different revenue streams. It, if you're not, you know, if you're a, if you're a non for profit as opposed to a profit, it could be looking at different ways of attracting donors. It could be looking right. Like there's right. there's yeah. so many different things we can do here. It's and I think where we get stuck is when we talk about learning cultures, people automatically go to like formal training. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. It's it's a whole it, it's a whole atmosphere of just openness and innovation and being able to talk about stuff and being able to challenge ideas when they're not working, right? Whereas opposed to in some companies, when something's too far down the track, people just keep their mouth shut because Absolutely. it's safer, right? You've seen that happen. So, <laughs> right? So, it's, so it is, it's really about creating that culture and that's what it is. It's not that we're going to send everybody to training and that we're going to be focused on developing everybody all the time, 24 seven, because that's exhausting. Yeah, and we can't do that because people have to do their jobs. But like I said, it's the mentality behind it. It's being open. It's being willing to try different things and it's and it's giving your employees an opportunity to grow is really what it's about. And how does an organization develop this culture when they have limited resources, patients, time limitations? Yeah. So again, it's not based on, you know, formal learning. And I would say that learning and development in organizations is going on undergoing a great change right now. It was really funny when we when we hit the e-learning phase, it was all about e-learning. So and e-learning, e-learning is not it's it's over. E-learning, it was a phase. E-learning is over. And so it was it was just well, no, it's not over, but it's but it's being part of a blended approach now. So, but it was funny because when e-learning showed up, boom, it was the solution. Yeah. Right? We could train employees. It was not expensive. They didn't have to be going on site. They could do, you know, do it from their desk whatever. And then we discovered, especially for certain topics like for everything that I do around behavioral things, e-learning is not a Effective. And so, but a blend of e-learning, face-to-face, what have you, when you look at, you know, training and also getting out of like the full day workshops, people don't have time for that. Right. Don't have time for it. So, and when you look at the neuroscience behind how adults learn and the psychology that's been around for decades is that, you know, we do much better doing like, you know, one hour and then going off and, and doing our thing and doing that hour within our actual work environment, not going off site. And, and just like these small changes that don't require a lot of expense. So how do you do that? How do you implement, you know, do you actually go into a workplace and do hour-long sessions? That is that kind of how that would work? Yeah. Well, it depends on what's logistically possible, right? right? So when you're working with remote teams and they're all coming to the same place, it's kind of hard to do a two-hour session um, because the expenses. But where I can... What I've been doing, so for example, around around leadership training, leadership training is very much behavioral based. Right. It's experiential. People have to go out and actually do it. They have to try it. And then they have to come back and debrief and figure out what worked and what didn't, right? So the best way I've found, and I'm still tweaking it every time, is 
You do 90 minutes to two hours on a particular topic, and then they go off. And during that week, they are implementing what they learned. So if you're teaching them about coaching skills, they're cre- they're having coaching conversations. If you're talking about you know conflict resolution, they're trying on different styles as they go through their week kind of thing. Then you meet with them the following week and you debrief on what they did and how it worked. And then you do a new topic. And then so it's just, it's a continual learning phase and in right. between the sessions you're like sending out articles and they've got ted talks to watch and it's just it's top of mind for like a 10 to 12 week period and this is right? would this be a one-on-one type program like a coaching program that you would do or this, this would be in a group setting this would be in a group setting because usually what we find is we usually have at least you know anywhere from four to ten individuals who are kind of at the same level so we we can do up and coming leaders we can do senior leaders right so you get them together because the ripple effect of that is that we get a stronger cohort Right. Because if they're in the group together and it's of a safe space, you get to have conversations about the things that aren't working. And you actually get to have people thinking of things in a different way and learning about each other so we can have like the team aspect of it. Right. And then what we have is, is what I do is I don't do anything that's not sustainable. So if we have, you know, 10 weeks of, you know, call it training or whatever, what have you, then we either have grouply quarterly sessions afterwards every three months to make sure that the stuff doesn't get dropped. Because what usually happens in training is that people walk away and they get Absolutely. busy and it gets forgotten, yeah. right? And then with certain individuals and maybe with the whole group, depending on on what the company wants. So, for example, I was just doing this with a, with a small tech firm. We have uh, our 10 sessions and then each individual in the group is getting two one-on-one coaching sessions in the two months that follow. And then we're going to have the quarterly group meeting, and then we're going to go into a longer term sustainability piece. And basically it just, it keeps things top of mind. If you don't have the budget for that sort of thing, figuring out who the key individuals are that will bring everybody else with them and giving them the skill sets. So that could be working with a coach, that could be being part of a, of a, like a group network. So for example, if you're a CEO of a small business, you find other CEOs that you can exchange pain points with. And, and right. And there are from. some great organizations right? around that uh, focus on yeah, on there's, there's all different types of groups. Exactly. And some of them are paying and some of them are not. You can get like free networks, right? Yeah. Depending on what and where you want to go with that. So there's a ton. I mean, we live in the age of information, right? You can go on and find anything. And so like what I've got one of my clients doing who has a fairly limited budget is they're creating their own resource library. And so basically we're, you know, they're spending a certain amount of time per week just Googling whatever topic it is they want. And then we're curating the content so that we're not just getting anything. We're right. getting the articles that actually speak to that culture. We're getting the, the the topics that people want to learn about. We're getting the, and they're setting that up internally with links and what have you. And then it's a self-learning process, right? So there's, there's lots you can do that doesn't require sending somebody off to some five day, you know, $6,000 yeah, whatever, exactly. because that's what used to happen. Absolutely. Um, but that was the way of the past. There's so many more options today and people just don't use them. You know, like we're doing here, podcasts. Yeah, right? exactly. 20 minutes on your phone, on your way to work, boom, you've got a whole new way of looking at something that day, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, there's just, there's a huge space to be really creative around the way that we do some of these things now. Now, coaching is a big part of what you do. And do you find, is coaching something that's valuable for any level of an employee? And we're looking at CPAs, or is it really something that would be more beneficial to senior leaders? 
It's my theory is that it, everybody needs a coach at some point in their life. I, I have certainly a coach. had some great advantages right? from coaches myself too. I, you know, I have a coach that I work with when I need to, right? And pull up the flag and say, help. Um, we all need one for sure. I think that where it makes, it certainly makes, I would say probably a bigger impact on people who are leading others. Doesn't have to be senior execs, can be middle management, can be, and especially middle management for me is one of the toughest jobs out there because you have to manage up and you have to manage down and you have to manage over and you have to, right? So it's, it's a difficult position. And the reason that I say that is because if we can actually help, you know, if I can help through coaching a manager or a leader become more effective and work better with their own staff, we then have a cascade effect because the manager is then role modeling behavior that then their team models. Because, you know, we're, we're just like kids. We do, we do what people do. We don't do what people say. We look, at, we look at people's behavior and we're like, okay, like I like, I like that. I want to do that myself, right? Yeah. We get inspired. Exactly. So if we have people who are visible, who are actually in those roles and it then makes a positive impact on their team, it cascades down into the organization. So you can probably create greater impact by coaching your leaders First, that does not mean that there are not individuals who would greatly benefit from coaching. So, for example, if you have a team and you have one out of eight people who maybe that person is potentially disengaged or they're a little bit toxic or they're coming in with behaviors that are derailing the rest of the team, if you can't get there on your own as a manager, it would be great to have them work as a coach because they're impacting the entire team, Absolutely. right? So it's it really depends on the, I would say, on the scale of, of the impact that individual has. A lot of individuals can have great influence without being in formal leadership positions. So also look at that in your organization. We have, you know, you can be a leader in any role just by the way that you show up that, you know, in, yeah, in exactly. Role. And so when you look at your organization, you're obviously going to have your, what I would call your formalized leadership positions, right? But you're also then going to have people that are key influencers that you may also want to have work with a coach just because you know that people are watching them all the time and that they do what they do, right? Now, how does culture play into a learning environment? Obviously, it, it must play a, a huge part. You have to have the right culture in place to be able to have this work effectively. Yeah. So basically, culture makes it or breaks it. You know, it's it's if you don't have, it's just like your strategic objectives. If you don't have the culture that supports them, you're not going to get there. It's just, and it's funny, you know, because for years people looked at culture and they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's a buzzword. It's a buzzword. We don't need to worry about that. And I think people are finally starting to realize that the culture that is created in their organization is so key to everything because it, it literally dictates how people behave, how they show up, what they can expect, how hard they work, how productive they are. And you can be very deliberate. And I would say for anyone who is creating a new organization, so like a lot of the startups that I work with, for example, they're actually being really smart and they're being very deliberate about the culture they want to set. They're being pretty open about the values that they want to display. They're communicating that out in all the ways that they can possibly do that. If you're in an organization that has a culture that's gone sideways Mm -hmm. or has derailed, which often happens because we start off with the best of intentions. But when we're not deliberate about maintaining our culture, it slips away from us and we don't even notice. And we just need a couple of individuals who maybe aren't exactly what we should have had or needed in that particular moment. And then things start to sort of slide. And then as humans, we're so much more prone to attach ourselves to the negative than we are to the positive that then it just gets easy, right? And it's just easier to complain about everything than it is to actually fix it. 
How but do you change that? How do you change culture? I mean, that's a sort of like the million dollar question, I guess. You know, it's yeah. it's doable. It takes a massive amount of effort and energy because if you're changing your culture, basically what you have to do is deconstruct it to reconstruct it. I would suggest strongly that you have external help who can come in and have a fresh pair of eyes and basically tell you straight up what, you know, what you need to be doing. But you also need a lot of internal support. If you don't have your senior management behind a cultural change, you're not going not to do happen. it, right? No. It's not going to happen. But it is doable. It takes time. And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up is, you know, I work with organizations. I used to do a couple of years ago, a lot of work with like toxic teams and, and turn those kinds of cultures around. And I don't think people realize that, you know, it may take, I don't know, four to six months under a poor or a missuited leader wow. to bring things to a place where it get the morale is really low and people are no longer really producing, right? And, you know, it's probably going to take a year and a half to turn that around. Wow. It's, it's, it's a long, <laughs> right? It's a long time yeah. because you've broken trust. People are skeptical. They're not going to believe that that's what you're going to do. And especially if you've been in an organization that has promised time and time and time again that this time's going to be right. different, nobody's listening anymore, right? So those are probably the long-term ones are probably the hardest ones to turn around. And sometimes it's, it's tempting to just kind of, you know, just start over, like just start at zero. But you've probably got good people in there that are not able to really be who they are because the culture has shaped that, right? So yeah, it's it's tough. It's doable. It's absolutely doable, but you need a lot of time, energy, and and the and the will. Like you need yeah. you want you need to have people that want to make that happen. And does right? it often I would think involve some people shifting as well. So you, you've got to change up. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did we did a huge cultural shift in an organization I worked with a couple of years ago, and we had a management team of 16. And we had, I would say, by the time we went through a whole trust build, we had people that were so disengaged. We basically, out of the 16 management team, we were able to have 13 that actually came around and were on board. Now, I still think that about three of that 13 were just given at lip service. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But they we want had, to keep their job. But we had 10 that were completely committed. And yeah. when you have that, That's you, have, good, you have people that yeah. are going to drive it, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, we had three that had to go yeah. because they just would, you know, used to use the, they wouldn't get on the bus, right? right? They just would not go there. And and it's like, you know what, this is where we're going. And those are tough decisions to make. And sometimes I think that people avoid the whole cultural restruct because it is going to be that hard. Yeah. It's icky um, and it's painful and it's, right? yeah. yeah. And it's hard and it's hard to do, but I mean, the best thing to do is not to get there in the first place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so having the right culture in the first place. And, right. Well, yeah. and that's paying attention. That's paying attention to your people, making sure you're bringing in the right people, make sure that your leaders have actual leadership skills. Where a lot of this culture was created, like I said, it wasn't created by deliberately, you know, poor or evil people. No, that's that's not what not. happens, yeah, yeah. right? But what does happen is we often, especially in long-standing businesses, we often put people into management roles that should not be there. Yeah, that, that's a common problem sort of in, in the CPA world because you may be a good technical accountant, but not necessarily have leadership skills. Absolutely. But because you've been around for a while, you get promoted. and People don't know what yeah, to do with you. Exactly. They want to recognize your good service and the fact that you've been really good at your job. And sometimes they can't find somebody for that job. So they're like, okay, we'll promote internally, which is is great. It's a great idea and you need to do it. If you are promoting someone into a management role who has never led people before, 
get them a coach. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because it because if it because in the in the companies where I've been brought in to support new technical leaders is, is sort of how I call them. It's worked really well because they don't know what they don't know. And if they're willing to learn, and that's the biggest thing, is you can promote anybody to a management role, but they need to be willing to learn and potentially change how they communicate with people. If they don't want to go there, then you're not going to get them there, right? You know, coaching is very can be very effective, but the person being coached needs to be receptive to the coaching. Otherwise, right. they have to not, really want it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to go anywhere, right? But yeah, you can certainly, and that's what I'd say is you can certainly move technical people into management roles, but you need to support them. And you need to be able to basically say, you know what, this isn't working if it doesn't work and move them back into something that they love to do and bring in someone else with a different skill set. You're right, because they yeah. may not be happy with that either. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes I have managers who, you know, they're not behaving great and they're not great managers because they're so unhappy in what they're doing because that's not what they love to do. It's not what they're in the industry or the sector for, right? So it's, yeah, it's 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 really, it comes down to paying more attention. That's, that's really what it is. Wow. So in summary, what advice would you give our listeners to develop a better learning culture that then helps them achieve their objectives in all respects? Yeah. So I think one of the first things to look at, you know, in training, we always talk about needs assessments. But for me, it's more of a look at the culture that you've got. Is it helping you get where you need to go or is it hindering you where you need to go? Um, that's probably your first step, right? How do you, how do you look at your culture? So you actually can do, I, like I do things that, that I call cultural audits, right? And you, so you bring someone in external who's safe, who people can be confidential with. And, and I do a series of interviews and I talk to everybody. I talk to the receptionist, I talk to the CEO and right. I talk to you know, key people in between. Accountants um, feel happy with that because it's the word audit is in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's and it's basically that. And and I ask the I ask all these different people in all these different roles in different departments the same questions about how would they, you know, how would they describe the organizational culture? If there's one thing they could change tomorrow, what would it be? You know, do they feel that that they understand the vision? Do they understand the corporate values? Do they think that people are living up to them? Do they, you know, all sorts of things. And and so, and then basically you put together a summary and there's usually some plus points for, you know, certain individuals and things that they're doing. And there's usually stuff to work on. There's always stuff to work on, but it gives them a, it gives them a starting point, right? And then basically from there, they can make decisions on what's a priority and what's urgent and what really needs to be changed quickly. Maybe nothing, and maybe it's just more about the build um, and what they can do next, or maybe there's a slight slip somewhere that they need to jump on, right? So it just, with anything, you need to have your data. Right, you diagnose your problem. Absolutely. And sometimes a lot of people, what you get in this cultural piece, especially you get antidotal stories. Absolutely, yeah. And some of them aren't true, right? <laughs> like we have organizational myths. People have been talking about, oh, it's this, it's this, it's this. And then you dig into it and it's like, actually, it's not that at all, <laughs> right? It's just that's the easy label that we've stuck right. on it, right? So and this is why, you know, this is why I call it an audit because you you dive a little bit deeper to figure out exactly what's going on. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's great. Great information. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpacanada forward slash podcast 